Our final scripture reading comes from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 13, beginning with the first verse. At that very time, there were some present who told him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were, the, they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, see here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, sir, let it be alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. Here ends our gospel reading. Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So now we come to the third Sunday in Lent. And that means the third Sunday on this sermon series on the journey of Lent. We're taking, these, taking this opportunity to try and deepen our relationship with God, to try and push ourselves to new territory, to see, uh, see what we can do to deepen our spiritual lives. And if you recall, the first week, the first sermon I preached was on the narratives that we make. So I pointed out that there are objective events that happen in life. There are objective events that occur in history. But we, as human beings, interpret those events for ourselves and gives ourselves meaning And that it's in those internal narratives where God comes into our life. As we look back on our lives, that's where we can name where God has been present along our journey. And that I encouraged us that as we begin our Lenten journey to try and get into the practice of naming where God has been in our lives so that we can be more aware of where God approaches us in our life as we walk through this world. And then last Sunday, uh, we looked not behind us at our narratives of the past, but we looked forwards to where our end goal might be, where our Jerusalems might be, and ask the question about vocation. Where is God calling you? What is God calling you to be? And I used Parker Palmer's great book, Let Your Life Speak, to guide us through that. And today, on this third Sunday, we also, just like last Sunday, are meeting Jesus along his journey from Galilee to Jerusalem. If you recall, in the Gospel of Luke, the way that the evangelist Luke sets up his gospel is Jesus starts in Galilee, And then in chapter 9, towards the end of chapter 9, Jesus starts a journey to Jerusalem and journeys to Jerusalem from chapter 9 to chapter 19. And it's in that section where Jesus does most of his teachings in the Gospel of Luke. That's where you get things like the Good Samaritan or the Prodigal Son. All comes in that journeying period. And so we meet Jesus somewhere along that journey. And someone comes up to Jesus and says, hey, hey. Those Galileans that Pilate killed and then he mingled their bloods with their sacrifices, were they worse sinners to deserve all that? 
Did God punish them for that, for their sins? Did they make some mistake that that's why that happened? Jesus says, no, but you need to repent. And then, again, someone else comes up, hey, hey, what about those people where randomly that tower just fell on them, killing 18 of them? Surely they must have done something to deserve that that accident to befall them. They must have made some mistake. Surely they must be worse sinners than others in Jerusalem. And Jesus says, no, no, that's, that's not the way God works. But you must repent. And then someone else comes up to him and says, hey, hey, my basketball team lost in the NCAA tournament. Surely I didn't say enough prayers or I must have done something wrong. And Jesus is like, no, no, it really doesn't work that way. You must repent. And then someone came up to him and said, hey, hey, one of my friends has been diagnosed with cancer. Clearly, she must have done something wrong. And Jesus looks them in the, dead in the eye and says, no. That's not the way God works. God does not function in that way. But still, you must repent. So what does this whole repentance business mean? We're in the season of Lent. It's a penitential season. Go repent. Something we all love to do here at FCC, right? When was the last time you spent some time in repentance? (laughs) When I was at Memorial Church at Harvard... Uh, During the season of Lent, which my boss made a big deal of, uh, he would change around the prayer of confession. We said a different prayer of confession during the season of Lent. And the prayer of confession that he chose came from the 1928 Episcopal Book of Common Prayer. And if you've ever read this prayer of confession, it's about as dark a Calvinist version of a prayer of confession that you can find, uh, including such lines as, you know, there is no health in us and have mercy on us miserable offenders. If you want to know a prayer that encapsulates sackcloth and ashes and whipping yourself and crawling on your knees uh, all the way down the heritage walkway, uh, that is this 1928 Book of Common Prayer Confession. That was my boss at the time's form of Lenten repentance. And it always bothered me tremendously that we did this. One, because there's this sense of what, should should we be repenting that much more severely during Lent than we do the rest of the year? Shouldn't we try and be faithful disciples all year round? Why switch during Lent? But of course, the bigger issue is, I'm like, well, what if I don't believe that? What if I don't believe that there's no health in us? What if I don't believe in total depravity? What if I'm not an old school Calvinist? What if I actually believe in the goodness of human beings? And you were still saying this prayer. Ah. So if, it's, so if, so if repentance doesn't mean putting on sackcloth and ashes, what, what does it mean? And that type of repentance can also have negative consequences really negative consequences. I remember when I was at uh, Memorial Church, uh, I know I've told this story before, but it's certainly relevant here. When I was working there, there was a student named Amanda who came from New York City, and during the course of her time there as a student, she decided to get baptized. And she was coming to the Sunday night service that I had set up, and she came dutifully every single Sunday. Now, in that Sunday night service, we did have a confession time. Uh, We didn't use something like the 1928 Book of Common Prayer, but we did have a time of confession. And after a period of time, she stopped coming to service. And so I went with her and I said, Amanda, what's, what's the story? And she was someone who suffered intensely from an eating disorder and had just an intense sense of self-loathing. And she said, John, when I'm in service and we have that prayer of confession, it brings up all of these bad demons and I end up hating myself so much that that's the only thing I focus on during the whole service. 
She was so wounded uh, that she couldn't have a prayer of confession without hating herself. She, could, she couldn't hear that good news. And I realized that, again, when you use a prayer of confession, when you have that in the liturgy, different people receive those words in different ways, and they can have very destructive consequences. That's one reason why we don't say a prayer of confession here at First Congregational. So what exactly are we supposed to do with repentance? What are we supposed to do with these words of Jesus? What do we make of them? How do we be good uh, followers of the gospel? I think there's a hint in the passage for today. If you look closely at the passage, you see Jesus has this whole interaction with those on the road, and then he tells a parable to illustrate what he's talking about. And what's in the parable? The parable is about a fig tree that doesn't bear fruit. What's the sin of the fig tree? The fig tree is not being fruitful. That's the problem with the fig tree. The fig tree is not doing that for which it was planted. It was planted and, and, and nurtured so it could bear fruit. So it could be in abundance. And instead, it was all dried up. Now, this, uh, this past fall, after Dr. Sylvia Richards died, again, our Minister of Counseling and Community Life here, uh, she ended up giving me a chance to go through all of her books. Sylvia, like me, loves books, and so she had quite a few books to go through. And so I went through and grabbed whatever, some of the books I really liked. And one author that Sylvia was a big fan of is a Dominican uh, friar by the name of Matthew Fox. And Matthew Fox is well known for creation spirituality. And so this week, I was looking through some Matthew Fox, particularly his book, Original Blessing. Fox is someone who detests, I mean, maybe that possibly too strong a word, but I don't think it is when you read through his stuff, really does not like what he calls a fall redemption paradigm. He's like, when you look at the original stories in Genesis, the fall is not there. That's a later rereading of the early Genesis stories. But when you get into the mindset that we are fallen human beings, that we are desperate sinners, uh, that we are in desperate need of, of, of redemption through uh, whatever means you want to talk about with the atonement, it creates a certain dynamic and a certain narrative in Christianity that Fox says is really harmful. Instead, he puts forth a creation-centered spirituality where he says we are created beings Uh, God is a source of creativity within us, and what God calls us to do is to live into our fullest selves, live into this ourselves that we made us to be. Just as Jesus says, he says he came that you might have life and have it abundantly. That's the goal, that you should live passionately. You should live out your life as as it's meant to be, Uh, that those desires that God has put in you should be lived out so that we can build a world that's full of connection and love and cooperation and peace and harmony, and that only comes by living into the type of creation that we were meant to be. This is what Fox is saying. And he's like, there are plenty of theologians and there are plenty of biblical uh, witnesses to this type of spirituality. And that what is sin for Matthew Fox and others like him? What does sin look like? Well, sin is, say, for instance, ecological destruction. When you destroy the world around you and cut off your connections with nature, you are ravaging God's creation and committing a great sin. What is another sin? When you have sort of dualist mentalities that creates an us and them that objectifies others. That is against the nature and purpose of creation. And what happens? Destruction. What sin for Matthew Fox? When you try and accumulate as much as you can for the sake of accumulation. When you want to beat others and have power over them. This is at odds with the kind of 
uh, creation spirituality with the message of Jesus. That is what sin is. When you sever connections with other people, when you sever connections with those in your life, that's what sin is. When you are in a period of self-loathing and you hate yourself, such as you can't live into who God has made you to be, that is sinning, according to Matthew Fox. Now, when we look at our text for today, and again, you look at the Greek word for repent, the Greek word for, for repent is metanoia. Literally means a change of mind. Literally means a turning back to God. It's rooted in that Hebrew term shuv, which means to turn, to turn around, to return to God. What is repentance? It's a call to come back to God, to come back to who God has meant you to be, to find connection with God once again, to be a fig tree that actually bears fruit. That's what Jesus is calling on you to do right here. But again, that's a difficult thing to make happen in our lives. It's not easy to try and connect ourselves with God. It's not easy to return to God and find that life-giving energy, that creative force. What gets in the way? One thing is harmful paradigms. Harmful paradigms of God. Like, for instance, what I was talking about earlier with Amanda, or when I was in Iowa and serving a church in Iowa, I remember there was a man who grew up in a very conservative Church of Christ background, went to a Church of Christ college, and he had moved up to, uh, to Ames, Iowa from Austin, Texas, actually, because uh, uh, his husband, I officiated his wedding, his husband ended up getting a job at Iowa State. And Brent, very bright guy, very engaged, and he was coming to church for a while, and again, he stopped coming to church. And I asked him why. He's like, John, he's like, as much as I love the messages that you preach, as much as I love what that church stands for, when I walk into the church space, I get right back to a kid and I think about all the church stuff as a kid and I can't get those frameworks out of my head. You know, there's certain people that, you know, people talk about Catholic guilt where you grow up in a Catholic mentality and you get taught this whole sense of you're a sinner and you bear the stain of original sin and this, and you go to confession and this gets into your mind. It can be very hard to walk into a worship space and see things in a new way. What gets in the way of reconnecting to God? Sometimes it's these bad images of God that are hard to get out of our heads. When I first got to uh, Memorial Church out of seminary, uh, Some of you know this already. When I first got to Memorial Church, one of the things I did was I realized that there were certain books that gave me life and felt me, gave me a sense to be very connected to God and to those around me. And there are other books that I would read that would send me down these tailspins of self-loathing and misery. And so literally, I created two bookshelves in my office. One was the bookshelf of death and one was the bookshelf of life. (laughs) I didn't want to throw out the books I didn't like because they were good theologians. It's just at that moment in my spiritual journey, I knew that they did not feed me. And so they had to be on a bookshelf that I did not read. (laughs) And then those books that gave me life. Again, that's the first challenge. How do we get beyond some of these paradigms? What do we do to do that? Another challenge, of course, is creating time. Creating time to have connection with God. Any one of you who have, t- who have taken seriously some sort of spiritual discipline know how hard it is to carry it on and to make it into a habit. It's not an easy thing. Other things get in the way. You, you want to do some sort of morning devotionals and you wake up that morning and you're really tired that morning or you slip through your alarm or you're late and all of a sudden it's very easy to fall out of routines. I'm someone who gets a lot of spiritual life and connection out of going on walks in the evenings. And those times where I, for one reason or another, don't get a chance to go on my evening walks, I feel uncentered, but still, life gets busy. It doesn't always happen. 
I mean, give me a break. Even coming to church on Sunday morning, the reason why coming to church is so important is because it reconnects us to God. It's something that we need to do. I mean, our society out there tells us a lot of negative things that would, oh yeah, you need to get ahead. You need to get more stuff. You need to have power over someone. Those other people are losers. Those other people, I mean, all those things are all language of sin. And you need to come to church to sort of remind ourselves of returning to God. But even carving out that one hour of space can be very hard. But again, this is Lent. If we want to return to God and repent, part of what that means is making God a priority and trying to create space for that so that we can feel connected to the creative force of life that gives you so much life and energy and compassion and love. A third challenge that uh, is related to some of Matthew Fox's ideas is the challenge of letting go. That if we're going to be connected to God, one of the things we have to do uh, is let go of, for instance, unrealistic expectations on ourselves and be okay with who we are, which can be very difficult. Part of being reconnected to God is also being able to sit with pain and discomfort because that is a part of creation as well. Bad things happen to us. We go through periods of grief and loss. We go through periods of difficulty. But boy, how hard is it sometimes to actually sit with that pain and try and find God in those empty spaces and alone spaces. It can be very tough. You want to fill them up with being busy or you want to distract yourself with one thing or another. But if we're going to be true to who God has created us to be, part of that requires sitting with pain and trying to figure out healthy ways of dealing with it. So on our journey of Lent, one thing we have to do is to repent, to return to God, to commit to doing that. But of course, there's good news. When we look at our parable at the end of our gospel reading for today, what happens? Jesus says, don't worry, you still have one more year. (laughs) (laughs) Except this time, you get to be surrounded by a bunch of manure in your fig tree. (laughs) That great fertilizer of coming to church. Hopefully, church manure, I don't know. A great fertilizer of coming to church and all the spiritual disciplines that we have. We have an opportunity to actually enrich our lives. We're given tools to enrich our lives with our connection to God. And God and Jesus is calling on us to do this. And so that is part of our challenge of this journey of Lent. Commit to repentance. Commit to returning to God. Commit to finding some sort of connection with the divine. So that you can grow into the person that God has intended you to be. And continue to bear fruit.